are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Well, good morning and welcome to Hope Church. My name is Chris and I have the joy of leading our leadership team here at, at the church. This morning you've picked a great morning to stream in as we finish our series called Hope Matters. And if you're new then I just want to extend my welcome to you along with Catherine's. I'm so pleased that you've joined in to be with us this morning. For those that have been with us for more than a week, I hope that you've enjoyed engaging with many of the different encounters that Jesus had with people throughout this series and also hearing those stories of hope that different people in our church have shared. This morning, we're gonna have a look at the encounter that Jesus had with his disciples as he performs his first miracle at a wedding. This is found in John chapter two, and Miriam is just gonna read that for us now. John chapter two, verse one to 11. Jesus changes water into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some, some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who drew had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Thanks, Miriam. What I think is incredible is that for someone who healed the sick, who performed miracles, who opened the eyes of the blind, who did amazing things. On the surface, his first announcement onto the world stage, his first miracle, or as Miriam read, his first sign, it seems to be quite trivial. See, nobody's dying, nobody's sick, nobody's starving or, or demon possessed. So why would Jesus decide that this event would be the time to start revealing himself to the world? Why would he use his supernatural powers to effectively keep the party going? Why would he provide a miraculous solution to an admin and social error? To be honest, I just love that this is Jesus's first miracle. I like to imagine the shock and awe on the servants and the disciples' faces at seeing the master of the ceremonies trying this drink and then commending it as the best ever. 
There's lots to pull out of this passage. So here are a few quick ones, and then we'll hit the biggie. How he spoke to his mother. So firstly, oh, firstly in verse 2, we find out that Jesus had been invited to the wedding. And this is something that's really easy to just read past or skim over, but it's good for us to know that Jesus was fun to be around. People liked him and he is invited. You know, the Bible says that when you seek Jesus, that you will find him. And when you invite him, he will come. But he rarely barges down the doors and forces himself on anyone, but is always happy to receive an invitation. Even now, by the power of his Holy Spirit, you can invite him into your life. And I know that he will gladly accept the invitation. You know, maybe you've been searching for God. Maybe you've been looking in events or circumstances of life. But I wonder, have you ever just stopped to pray and invite him in your life? I mean, it's quite simple, really. He was invited to the wedding and he turned up. And I tell you, the bride and groom would have never lived to regret it. And you know what? Neither will you or me. So firstly, it's just good to point out that um, it's good for us to invite Jesus into our lives. Secondly, in verse 3, we find that they took their problems to Jesus. You know, as I mentioned before, this wasn't a case of life or death, sickness or disease. But having said that, it probably wasn't such a trivial matter. Let me give you a bit of context. You know, in ancient traditional cultures, um, they put far more emphasis on the family and the community than on the individual. So wedding celebrations and marriage was so much more than just the happiness of the two individuals, but it was a whole community achievement and the place where the next generation are raised. Marriage was good for the whole community and the bigger, the stronger and the more numerous families in a town, do you know what, the better its economy, the better its education, military strength and that town's prospects. This meant that weddings and, and wedding feasts were a far bigger deal than probably what they are today. Each wedding was a, a public feast for the entire town because marriage was about the whole community. At the same time, it was also the biggest event for the couple themselves because it would have been the main event where the whole community would come to celebrate them. This was the day that they came of age. It was the day they became full adult members in the community. And so it's no surprise that celebrations like this would have lasted a week. So at this point, we're perhaps just a few days into the celebrations and a big disaster has struck. The single most important element in any ancient feast, and to be honest, in most celebrations today, is the wine. And it had run out. To run out was not just a mere breach of etiquette, but it was a social catastrophe, especially in an honour-shame culture where this was a defining moment. You remember, they couldn't just pop down to the local co-op or buy more wine. This was an issue. And I love that Jesus' mum brought it to him. Although Jesus hasn't done any miracles yet, she knows that he is special. I mean, she probably remembers the angels visiting her before she gave birth to him. And she knows that he can help. So often in life, it's easy for us to never consider bringing our issues to God. You know, we might feel that they're just too insignificant. Maybe we feel there's more important things going on that we should pray for. Or maybe we feel Jesus just wouldn't be interested. 
Maybe you feel that it's our own administrative ev error, you know, that's perhaps got us into sticky finances or home situations or schooling and, you know, and so on. And it's so easy to dismiss. In that moment, we need to remember that it's, it's not wine we need. What we need is Jesus. This God who invites us to know him is described in the Bible as a friend, as a refuge, as a place of safety and a tower of strength that we can run to. So let's be encouraged to take our problems to Jesus. That was my second point. Thirdly, in verse 5 to 9, we see that they did as he told them. And when they did that, Jesus ends up providing, you know, roughly 920 bottles worth of what's described in the passage as the finest wine. Jesus' mother, Mary, said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you. You know, and that's good advice, although often it's hard to follow. Yet this is also the essence of what it means to be a Christian. God wants our obedience to him. Sometimes, you know, living the way that God calls us to may seem to make no sense probably like these instructions to the servants. Sometimes they might even go against our own personal wishes and desires, but a miracle happened when the servants obeyed Jesus and it was to the benefit of everyone in attendance. When the water was drawn out and given to the master of the banquet, the servant must have been thinking something along the lines of, oh, I hope I can just run fast enough to get away. He knew it was water. He, I mean, he had filled the jars himself. And Jesus, who he had probably never heard of before, was telling him to go and take it to the master of ceremonies. Yet, although he didn't know it, the obedience to follow Jesus' instructions was going to be the best thing that he ever did. And a great story celebration that they're going to tell on even to this day. You know, God has plans for your life and he calls you to walk in obedience to them. We have a loving and caring God who promises in the Bible in Romans 8 verse 28 that in all things he works for the good of those who love him and are, have been called according to his purposes. And that doesn't mean that things will somehow work out in the end for everyone. This is a specific promise for God's children. That's for those who love him. He will work all things to, together for your good. And so let's all be people that invite Jesus into our lives, that trust him, that become people of God. Let's bring our problems to him and then let's ha be willing to follow what he calls us to do trusting that his plans are even better than our own but as i mentioned at the beginning there is one last thing that i want to mention in this story and that's that brief encounter that jesus has with his mum it seems a bit stark when jesus says woman why do you involve me and, you know, most commentators will say that this is an unusually insensitive use of language. But what's even more strange is the reason he gives when he says, my hour has not yet come. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus mentions the hour, he is always talking about his death. And so Mary says, there's a disaster. We've run out of wine. You know, she's coming to him with that. And Jesus' response is, why are you telling me this? I'm not ready to die yet. I mean, what? That, that just doesn't make any sense. And, and it seems it probably didn't make any sense to Mary either. And so rather than kind of getting into an argument or talking back, she just seems to kind of go to the servants and is just like, just do whatever he tells you. You know, 
she she's not even she's what are you talking about jesus it's not your turn to die she goes to the servants hey just whatever he says get on with it and it's good to ask the question why does jesus connect the simple request for more wine with his death well in verse 11 john says that this miracle was a sign which revealed his glory and that is what he has come to do so let's just unpack the story again see cynics will say that at this stage in the wedding celebrations jesus didn't really turn the water into wine but as they fill the jars with the water, kind of the dregs of the leftover wine in the containers, diluted the water and, you know, everyone thought that it was just great wine because they didn't know because they're just kind of plastered. But those cynics would need to read the story again because it wasn't the empty wine jars that were filled with the water, but the ceremonial washing jars. And that's important. Because at community events, like weddings and religious festivals, in order to enter into the banquet or a feast or a celebration, people would first have to wash their hands and their feet. They did this in order to make themselves ceremonially clean. They would scrub the dirt off, scrub their feet down, and after enough scrubbing and, and rubbing and getting it all off, they would be able to enter into the banquet clean. They would be fit to enter. Jesus at this wedding took this symbol to teach people about God. See back then people thought that the way to get to God, the way to please him, the way to enter into his presence was to scrub yourself up and dust yourself down. They thought that God was a distant God that he would have to strive to get close to through religious duties to appease this distant God. They thought that the way to become acceptable to God the way to atone for your sins was to work hard at doing good things, like scrubbing. At this wedding, they received a message loud and clear that there's no amount of scrubbing or trying hard or, or hiding the dirt that will do. Jesus was showing them a new way to get clean before God, a new way to enter into his presence, into his courts, into his great banquet a new way to be accepted by God. This wine spoke of a new kind of washing and forgiveness of sins. It spoke of a, a new way to God. You know, throughout the Bible, wine is often used as a symbol of blood. And in this story, Jesus does away with the ceremonial water. You know, notice there's none left. It's just new wine or the old wine. And he shows us that the way to become clean, the way to enter into his celebration banquet, is now through the new wine. It's his blood. That's the only thing that you can apply to your life that will make you clean. And that's why he relates the request for more wine to his death. Because he knows that his death is coming and that the wine will be a symbol for that. This wine it speaks of a new kind of washing. It speaks of a new forgiveness of sin. It speaks of a new way to God, not by might, not by power, not by scrubbing, but by God's spirit through Jesus' son. You and me can know God and we can enter into his presence. God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And on the night before Jesus died, he took some wine and he told his disciples that this represents my blood which will be spilt for you. And whenever you drink the wine, celebrate and remember all that I have done by dying on the cross to forgive your sin and make a way for you to come into the presence of God. At the end of the story, 
John says, what Jesus did in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. But he goes on to say at the end of verse 11, and his disciples believed in him. Just as the disciples believed in Jesus through this amazing miracle, Jesus invites us all to believe in him too. To know that in this small story, where he brings honour instead of shame, where he brings joy instead of sorrow, that he also brings life to the full instead of dead religious duty and deeds. You don't need to scrub yourself down or brush yourself up to be accepted into his presence or into his church. You know, whoever you are, whatever situation you are in, however trivial or significant your circumstances might be, Jesus wants you to know that you can come just as you are into his presence and be loved and accepted and honoured and find life to the full in him and by him. Knowing that means surely, of course, we want to do the things that the disciples, that Mary and the servants did in this story. It means we want to invite him into our lives. It means we want to take our problems to him. And we can even be bold enough to take steps of doing what he tells us to do and living according to his purposes. You know, in this world, the best comes first, best gets the prize, best wins the race, best is at the front. But in this passage, it says that Jesus saved the best until last. You know, no matter what happens in this life for the Christian believer, the best is yet to come. So even in the face of a pandemic, in the midst of great uncertainty, perhaps around schooling or university or, or jobs, in the midst of seemingly unjust acts around the globe, in the midst of horrendous mosque attacks as we've seen, in the midst of racial injustices, in the midst of all different kinds of trials and despair, that life can bring, you know, there is great hope to be found in Jesus. And that's why we're called Hope Church. And so I just want to take a moment to, to pray. And I'd love to encourage you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this encounter that, that John has recorded for us in his gospel. And I thank you, Lord, that even now we can read it. And, and Lord, I pray for each of us, wherever we are um, in, in the country, um, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to, you know, do those simple things like invite you into our lives, to bring our problems to you and to trust you and follow you and do as you call us to. Trust in Lord God that as we go through life that you are able to work all the things, all the, the, the stuff that we go through to, to our good. And, and I pray Lord God that you'd give us the boldness to trust even though we don't always understand why we go through the things we go through. That we can trust that actually God you are able to use it to, to benefit us. And, and so I ask you, Lord God, that you give us strength and boldness and courage to keep following you uh, day by day uh, in our lives. And, and Lord, I love how you reveal yourself and your glory through the whole Bible. And even in this simple encounter, Lord, you have shown us a new way, a new wine, a, a gospel, Lord God, that isn't dependent on how hard we try, on how hard we try to dust ourselves down or scrub up. Lord God, actually, we know that no amount of scrubbing would ever do before a holy God. 
But before you, we can come accepted, we can come blameless, we can come as children of God because you have paid the price for our sins and you have made a way for us to come clean into God's presence. And so I pray, Lord God, for every single one of us here today that we would uh, take those steps to put our trust in you, to invite you into our lives, to follow you and trust you, to be obedient to all that you're calling us to. Be with us, I pray. Thank you, Lord God, for how you've been speaking to us through this hope series. Thank you that it matters, Lord God, to every individual that you encountered, and it matters to us too. Help us, Lord God, to be a blessing to our community, to our neighbours, our friends, our colleagues, and everyone that we meet. In your heavenly name, amen. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10am. Head to hopechurchgilford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.